the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Do men and women view politics increasingly differently? And then David French has some thoughts on guns in America. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. It's so good to have you with us on a Thursday afternoon. The weather's cool. Fall is coming. And uh, we are excited that you are here. Aubrey, Thursday, how are you today? Uh, how am I doing on this Thursday? I feel like it's next week. I love asking That's... you this question. I just always come right to you with this. <laughs> I know you always do. I was like, how do I answer this? I feel like it's next week. I feel like it's January. That's how I feel on this Thursday. Like, it's Whoa. just like, there's so much to do all the time. And so therefore you feel like, like it's January. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 I feel like okay. it's already the end of the year. That's why I feel I'm good. How about you? Good. I'm wonderful. I am doing well. Life is good. Uh, it feels like there's some rhythm. Although, Aubrey, I don't know that we've talked enough about this on the show. Um, my son has his he get he can get his driver's license on Monday. <gasps> That's so exciting. That's such a game changer for your family. Yay, yay, he yay. I'm having a hard time getting my mind around it. Like, wait, like next week? What are we talking about? Yeah, he turned 16 on Monday. That's so, so huge. And he's going to uh, go like that day or whatever and get his. That morning. Uh, the appointment is at 9.30 a.m. on Monday morning. So Okay. Um, oh, man. That is just so. That's so exciting. What a what a big, big. What a big. I think What it a is. big we will, thing. When we come on air on Monday, I could probably let you know whether or not he passed the test. <laughs> and, uh, uh, we, if you're we, silent we, about it, we'll know what that means. Know. You know what else? You know, know, you just talked about being in the regular rhythm of things. I'm still like my alarm goes off at 6 a.m., which I'm an early riser anyway. But there's something about being an early riser when you want to be and being an early riser to get your kids out of bed. And I have just been like, I don't want my kids to be in school. School's stupid. I'm Why do we to get up? They can just why drop does, out. I don't care. Interestingly, why, why does Aubrey want her kids not in school? It's not so she can have their loving presence in their home. Nope. It's not so nope. they can enjoy things as a family. It's so nope. she can sleep longer. She wants to sleep longer. Even just that 15 minutes. Just give me that 615. You know what I think? I think you should do something not for your children, but for your own sleep schedule. You should homeschool your children. You can pick the start time that you want. So people will ask you, oh, Aubrey, we respect her. She's a respected Christian leader. That's true. We they would know say that about me. Her book was number one in Christian death. Like what? Why would why? she? Oh, she's homeschooling. Oh, Maybe she's a should. homeschool Aubrey, mom too? Yeah. Aubrey, give us your wisdom. Why are you homeschooling? It's because I want to sleep longer. I want to sleep in. <laughs> I, just, I don't want to get up in the fair. morning. That's why. It's fair. We all have <laughs> our reasonings. Hey, before we jump into what we're going to talk about, let me invites you to join Waterleaf Women's Center's Run for Life event on Saturday, September the 9th at Wabonzi Park in Aurora. You can run, you can walk, and this family-friendly event and all proceeds will go to Waterleaf Women's Center. 
So for more information or to register for this event, go to waterleafwc.org. That's waterleafwc.org. All right, Aubrey, there is some interesting data out. They wrote about this at Christianity Today. Ooh, let's hear it. That is uh, starting to get at this phrase. They, They quote a guy at a church in Nashville who said this. I think many of the women in our churches are getting more liberal, but I think the men are getting more conservative. So that's what this this article is about. Is there a growing divide politically in churches and also just culturally between men and women? Well, they give some empirical data. Let's hear. Uh, Psychologist uh, Gene Twang out of San Diego State University demonstrates that now they looked at high schoolers. They said among high school seniors, 30% Mm. of young women identify as conservative, which is down more than 10% in the last decade. Meanwhile, the number of young men who identify as conservative is more than double at an all-time high of 65%. Now they're going to go through some other data and some other anecdotes, but it essentially suggests this. That in the church and outside of the church, uh, men are becoming more conservative politically and women are becoming more liberal or less conservative, if you will. Is that surprising? And do you believe that it's true? Yeah, I mean, I remember when this study came out like a month ago about the high school students, and I was a little skeptical of like making a big draw between 18 year olds and the rest of the country. Like, my son is 17. And he might vote one way now, but it's mostly because of who he's around and what he hears and what have you. I, I Anyway, let's say the data data is empirical and we can like run with it as such. And they do more data in here than just the high school kids. It's more drastic. And I totally agree with you. I have a high school boy and it's like cool to kind of be edgy and like totally. Yeah. I gotta tell you know, you gotta tell all these guys don't listen to Andrew Tate, all of this stuff. But right. So it's less dramatic older, but there are seeing this divide at older. Like when people yeah. are more rational, yeah. when they are less like, yes. oh, it's cool. When their brains know? have stopped forming. Yes. I, I, here's yes. what I think. It does it does surprise me that there's a divide between men and women that's that drastic. Simultaneously, if there's a divide, it doesn't surprise me that that's the way it's going. Um, because I I for and I this is total anecdotal speak off the cuff like I don't know what I'm talking about obviously but I do think like if women are going more to the left Mm -hmm. I would say that's generally because the left has presented a front that feels more women-centric more compassionate more about the vulnerable more about those who've been marginalized and ostracized and overlooked in society and as women, you're going to go that way. And I also think as women, um, especially if you, this is hard because you're talking about a church outside of the church, you you know, well, inside of the church, too. Like women, I think, want to know that they have agency and they have rights. And that's how the the, you know, pro pro-choice, pro-life conversation is being positioned in that camp. Often. Right. That this is like for yep. women. So again, I can see why if there is a growing divide, those would be what I think uh, some of the reasons are why like men traditionally have been in power on the right. Women want more agency, want more power, that kind of thing. 
Um, that said, like, this isn't necessarily true of the crowd I run with. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, I agree. And this so that's out- the part that I'm like, huh, I don't know. And I, especially in Nashville, I'm like, huh. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. I think on the reason for the men going the other way, I think uh, that conservative pundits and conservative Joe Rogans of the world yep. also and others have done a really good job, whether you believe it's true or not. So I'm not suggesting that what I'm about to say, I'm not suggesting is either true or not true. I think those guys have done, they're seen as macho men, but I also yeah. think they've yeah. done a really good job at painting. I'm using air quotes. If you could see me on the radio, the left as having a bit of a war on masculinity. Totally. Like That's the narrative you hear the all the time. You have all these yeah. sexuality issues. You have all this yeah. stuff. Yeah. And so you get these men riled up and they're, well, how do you push back? We've got to stop this movement. And you hear this within yeah. the church and there are aspects, there's truth in every, in every message, right? Like, sure. I don't know that it's to the point of that, but this is fascinating. I also think Christianity Today wrote this article just so that they could use the headline Men are from right-leaning Mars. Women are from lefty Venus. I think that's why they wrote this article. Yeah, I think you're right. Some some writer was like, ooh, this will be a good title. I better write an article they, real quick about it. They read, they read this one study, and they went, I've got the title. We need the article to back it up. That's so funny. That's awesome. I love that. All right, coming up next, uh, speaking of things that divide people politically, uh, two things that divide people politically, David French and guns. David French had some thoughts about the worship of guns in America. We're going to listen to it and react next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Aubrey, you want to do something really fun? Ready for something fun? Uh, Yeah, real real ready. Let's talk about guns. Let's let's talk about uh, the thing that nobody has opinions on. How does that sound? That Uh, sounds fun. It's always a little fun to talk to you about guns because uh, as anyone who listens to this show knows, you grew up in Oklahoma. You guys love your guns down there. Oh, yeah. I grew up in a gun. I grew up in gun culture and I grew up in a gun family. I did not. So uh, I grew up in New Jersey. Insert your joke here about the mob and this and that. But in reality, (laughs) there weren't a lot of guns. Like it wasn't prevalent. It wasn't gun culture. It wasn't like – I didn't know anybody that I saw who was displaying guns in their house. Yeah. I shot yeah. my first gun when I was out of college. Like, I'm not yeah. talking like a lot. I'm like yeah. literally the first time I ever pulled the trigger on anything other yeah. than a BB yeah. gun. And so you right. come and from I, I, stuff. yeah, I mean, I shot a double barrel shotgun when I was probably eight years old and grew up making bullets with my dad in the garage for real. Making I mean, that's bullets. not a joke. Yeah. We made shotguns, shells, like filled them up with little bullets and little pebbles. And uh, yeah, that was my, uh, that was my growing up. So yes, that very different. You. That yeah. was you. So very different. Uh, there is obviously, and for, I think there will be for all time, a debate around guns right now. I've been thinking about this because um, Malcolm Gladwell's revisionist history, his new season just came out. Do you ever listen to revisionist history? Oh. No, but I bet it's fantastic. I got to listen to that. So it just came out on uh, this season's first episode just came out this past Thursday, I believe, like a week ago. And he's doing a whole season on guns. And whoa, uh, the first one was fascinating because he goes back to like the story that everyone uses out of England for, in the Supreme Court and all of this stuff. Uh, I learned a ton stuff I'd never heard of. Oh, I'll have to listen to that. OK, so. 
I want to play something, though, from uh, David French. David French and Curtis Chang, they do the Good Faith podcast. Both of them have been on the show. And uh, David French jumped into here. We're not going to play the part where Curtis Chang kind of sets it up. But I get, I, I want to get your feel, Aubrey, for just their language to start mm. here. Because they're going to talk about – you're not going to hear Chang first, but Chang talks about idolatry. Mm. And their running language here is the gun fetish culture, mm. the gun worship culture. So this is like a little over two minutes. So stay with it because I think for some of you, you're going to like want to amen this and others of you, you're going to get really mad at this. And so I want you to hear this. This is David French talking about what he calls the gun fetish culture. Well, you know, I think the idolatry point is really key here. Um and we we talked earlier or last week about idol, idols demand a sacrifice. Yeah. Um, and I, th- that's what is so deeply alarming to me about the gun fetish movement is that there is a gun idolatry. I do think the gun idolatry leads to behavior that is reckless and dangerous. One of those behaviors, for example, is the increased prevalence of open carried rifles at protests. Yeah. Um, I believe I think that this is I think this as I've written it escalates the the menace and the threat and the danger and the likelihood of violence uh, in public. So I think that there is an absolute need for responsible gun owners to push back against this gun fetishism, um, precisely because it is it does smack of idolatry. If you're if you're putting in a um, if you're putting in a um, uh, ad, you know, God and guns are in the same lineup, right? With babies, um, with babies, um, and then much less guns and Trump in the same lineup with God. Yeah. I mean, like there's that you're radiating. There's a problem there, and then what that what that idolatry then leads to is a close. You're closed right. to information. You're closed to argument. Um, you know, look. There's a lot of people who are open to red flag laws, and then they get closed really fast when the sort of the gun fetish world moves strongly against it. Now, interestingly, you go back to 2018, Trump was for red flag laws for a hot minute. So was the NRA for the NRA for a hot minute. And then, you know, there was a backlash uh, against it. And. So, you know, I, that, I think that idolatry point is one that is incredibly important to make. All right, I want to just start with whether you think it's fair to call it idolatry and worship mm. and fetish. Those are very um, strong yeah. Yeah. words because I do agree with French that the conversation seems to have moved even in the last five years. Like it feels different. Uh, but what do you think about what, what – many might call inflammatory language that they use there to describe one side of this debate. Well, I what, one thing I appreciate that David French said, it was a small moment, but I think it does help with some of this language is he said, responsible gun owners need to push mm-hmm. back against this gun fetish culture. And so even mm-hmm. in that, what you see is there is a spectrum of uh, responsible, ethical, moral gun owners all the way to people who are just brandishing their, you know, carry, not concealing their weapons and just carrying them out in the world and being very braggadocious about it and putting it on social media. And I mean, I can tell you like anecdotally, 
a tale of two gun owners in my life. One was very like all the guns in the safe, bullets never in the same place as the guns, only use the guns for hunting or for um, sport. Didn't let the kids know the guns were even in the house. Very, mm. very, I, I would call that. I don't personally feel the need to own a gun myself, but in that world, I would call that an ethical gun owner, like had a lot of morality and philosophy around it. Mm-hmm. Another gun owner in my life toted the weapon like day in and day out. Wouldn't go to Walmart without it because of, oh, those really? people at Wal- those people at Walmart, they're just, and there was, there was that fear. There was that anxiety. We didn't hear it. Curtis Chang talked about that fear, anxiety, despair. And I would also call it, racist especially with this one particular person like they're bringing guns into the walmart because that's the walmart that's a little more run down and quote-unquote ghetto or whatever that's i think a spectrum right i am telling you that because i think that's a spectrum is you've got you do have fetish idolatry gun owners idolatrous gun owners where it's like an identity and it's like based on xenophobia and fear and taken back the country and there's something about that that um i'm not sure when the line changes but somehow it becomes something it ought not to yeah yeah what do you think should be um what's the message i've never talked from a pulpit about guns at all yeah yeah, me neither. Uh, again, it's just so outside of my world. Yeah. But you do see it around you. Yeah. Um, you've got the people who are like, nope, you've got to have the Second Amendment, other people. But right. is this something pastors should be talking about? Not telling people get rid of them, not telling, mm-hmm. but just challenging where's this, if we do believe it's idolatry, if we do believe for mm-hmm. some people, it's yeah. is this something we should be talking about? I always think we need to, question the things we're silent about Hmm. meaning why are we silent is that because it's contextually doesn't make sense for us to talk about it or is it because there's some veil like and i'm going to get really spiritual here but some like even demonic presence that says do not talk about this do not talk about and we're blinded to the fact that this is idolatry and we're scared to so we don't want to I and I can't answer that for every church and every pastor around the world. I think it sort of depends on like, are you in a context where gun idolatry is an issue? Then yeah, you're going to make everybody mad, but you probably do need to talk about it, right? For you and maybe and even for me, like I just don't know that. And again, maybe I'm blind to it, but contextually, that would be like a talking point for us necessarily. Um, but I but. It would be maybe easier for us in our context to talk about it than it would like in a South in gun culture. I do think anytime there's something that we as Christians seem to feel overly passionate or really passionate about, it's worth without telling people what they should believe about guns. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth going. How does this fit in with our Christian faith? How yeah. does this passion for issue X or for yeah. this? Yeah. You know, it could be something much less dangerous like sports, right? How does your passion for sports fit into your faith? But something that is as divisive and potentially dangerous as guns, let's talk about this through the lens of Jesus. How Mm. do we, instead of the lens of the right and the lens of the left, let's talk about it through the lens of Jesus. 
and come to have an adult conversation about it and land yeah. where you land, right? right. Like you can, right. we're not going to tell you where to land, but land where you land. All right. That's fun. David French, glad to hear from him again. Coming up next, we've talked about quiet quitting, but we read an article the other day now that says companies are now quiet cutting employees. What exactly is that? We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Aubrey, I'm just going to ask it. What in the world (laughs) is this? Because quiet quitting, you might remember, was people, they didn't actually quit their jobs. Right. But they just did everything by the letter of the description. And they would never go above and beyond. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was the great debate about whether that was healthy work-life balance. Right. Or Or if that was just lazy. Lazy, or if that was professional suicide, right? Yeah, like I'm, I'm yeah. Admit. But now there's this new phrase called quiet cutting that's on the yeah. side. Help us understand what that is. Yeah, this is so fascinating. And as as someone who employs people, I think it's really interesting. It's this idea that instead of like flat out firing somebody, you you kind of go, "Hey, here's how your job is changing." You'll be now in charge of X, Y, Z instead of A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And what people are finding is that often that change is like a cut in pay and maybe a lower status job, for lack of a better word. And so people are sort of being quietly given a choice, either take this new sort of lesser version of your job or quit. And it's usually what it seems like, at least according to MSN.com, it's being informed two people via email (laughs) so it's the quiet part part. so people are of course pushing back that's passive aggressive either fire me or don't here's where i here's where i have a hard time with this if you're not doing a good job this is the reality of the workforce like you can't expect if if this is happening to people who are quiet quitting that's the natural result of quiet quitting you're gonna get demoted period i'm sorry like that's just the end now if this is just happening because the economy is bad and companies need to make cuts but they don't exactly know how to do it and they don't want to deal with what like a lawsuit or unfair termination or whatever so this is their way of doing it that's a different conversation so it might be both that's what it feels like this is yeah it feels like this is um a, a at worst passive aggressive, but it also feels like we don't want to fire you and go through the ramifications of it. So we'll keep you around yeah. at a much lesser deal, but it's not, or we're going to force you to quit. Because what happens? Right. You, you know, one of the things that happens when you're fired is you get severance and all of this stuff as well. But this feels like, gosh. You and I have only really worked in churches. We never, you know, you had some other jobs, but for the most part, we've worked in churches. But I can't imagine them, you being in a company and being faced with the decision, do I completely leave and start something new or do I get demoted to less pay and less title and less? Oh, yeah. I mean, it is like. What a hard choice. I think I, I think it's easy for me to say right now, but like, I think I would quit. I think I would quit, but like I, th- I, I think I would definitely start looking for a new job before I quit. I think that's what I would something. do. Yeah, what if the yeah. radio station came to you and they're like, "We'll give you weekend overnights for no." A third I'd quit. Oh, I'd quit. I'd quit. Yeah. If no, really I'd quit. hard. You'd be like, "Well," I, but at the same time, you know, 
what's the old saying? A bird in the hand is better than whatever. Like, you're well, yeah, especially if you have bills to pay and you got kids, you know, kids. So maybe the answer braces. (laughs) Maybe the answer. Don't don't mention braces, please. Uh, (laughs) I called yesterday to find out uh, from our orthodontist how much more, how much longer our payment plan goes. Oh yeah, and and let's let's say I'm just going to be a lot older when it's over. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I mean, so maybe the payment plan, right? Otherwise, yep. but yep. they were like, they were like, well, Jackson did Invisalign and Emily did uh did uh braces. Kind of traditional braces. Yeah, and they were like, uh, they were like, oh yeah, we could totally look that up. Emily's will be done in April fifteenth of twenty twenty four, and Jackson June first. I'm like, I got to make it through the winter, the fall, the spring. Oh, I'm so <laughs> sorry. Well, if it makes you feel better, we finished paying off one kid only to have my youngest now needs braces. So yep. we're just yep. taking it's that line amazing. item and keeping it going. <laughs> Let's circle back away because I think still the more interesting part of this conversation to me is the quiet quitting part. Because yeah. that has to do more with people's view of work. Uh, like this other quiet cutting thing. It's like if you're a business owner, like just be honest with the person or yeah, I guess yeah. being nice on some of them being like, hey, we'll keep you on. But doing this now. What about the person who's a. They've embraced this quiet quitting. They're like, you know what? I'm only going to work the exact number of hours I've paid for. Mm-hmm. I'm only going to do exactly what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And the rest of my time is mine. What, what's your thoughts? Remind people your thoughts on that. I have such mixed feelings about this because I I, I tend to think you, you show up well and you go above and beyond. Like – it's kind of like that saying you leave a place better than you found it. Like, I think that's also true on the job. Like, and so sometimes work requires a few extra hours. Sometimes work requires that you do more than is expected. Now I think you can keep your job and not do that. I think the question is like, what kind of employee do you want to be? And I think I want to be the kind that like, Maybe under promises, but overperforms at the end of the <laughs> yes. day. So people are surprised like, oh, she brought a lot to the table there. Wow. Um, and that may just be my personality. I certainly am not like be a workaholic, work yourself right. to death. Like think if you do, if you're over hours, then you do the next week need to cut down on hours or make sure you take a vacation or whatever. But I kind of don't like this even concept of like, I'm going to do the minimum amount of work necessary uh, just to get by. Part of it is maybe this is, I mean, you tell me what you think about this, Brian. You know that scripture that's like everything you do, do it for the Lord. Like whether you're eating or drinking or working, we're doing it for the Lord. I'm I'm summarizing there. But like part of it's like if you have a job, you need to steward it as unto the Lord. And that doesn't mean overwork. Like I don't want people to hear me saying that. But I think this right. attitude of like just barely bringing anything to the table I'm not impressed with that. I'll just say I that. I agree with you. I think what I've landed on too is some people view work as just to pay the bills. Yeah. Like if that, I think this gets it to your view of work. If you're looking for some sort of growth trajectory, like I long to someday be an executive in this firm, as, but I got to start really low. I want right. to eventually be this in this organization. That's going to take going above and beyond things, right? Yeah. But if it's like, you know what? I'm comfortable being this exact. It's like in the office, right? With Jim Halpert. 
I just sold paper and he was like, I sell paper and that's all I'm going to do. And I'm going to, yeah. like, if you're like, I'm, I'm good with this salary for yeah. the rest of my life. I'm good with this. Go for it. Then do exactly right. what you're supposed to do. Right. I think most of us just don't have that mindset. You're like, no, I want more. I want, I want more. more. There's some problems to that, but sure. I think if you have any ambition and growth trajectory, I would think quiet quitting is not the way to do it. Yeah, it I think so too. Isn't. Fascinating. Uh, coming up next, yeah, coming up next, Rich Viotis had some uh, interesting thing to say about what he calls good missional theology and practice. Hmm. I'm going to ask Aubrey. She's she is our uh, our master of all things evangelism and religion and such. So we're going to get her oh thoughts my. on what Rich Viotis had to say next year on the Common Good. Aim 1160. Hope for your life. All right, Rich Viotis, Aubrey, on Twitter, a great follow. I just, I really resonate with a lot that he says. Uh, Rich Viotis has been on the show before. He's great. Author of a wonderful book called The Deeply Formed Life. Uh, He's a a pastor out in Queens, New York. He took over for what? Peter Scazzaro's church. Yes. And, uh, you know, you might know the name Peter Scazzaro from Emotionally Healthy Everything. Emotionally Healthy Pastor, Emotionally Healthy Church, all of those kind of books. Uh, feels like a lot of pressure to be the emotionally healthy guy. Like <laughs> you're, you're always it's a lot, especially if that's if that's the church you take over, or if that's your if you're Pete Scazzaro and you started it. Yeah, you got to be emotionally healthy all the time. <laughs> it's really bad for your brand if you're like, you know what? I'm not emotionally healthy right now. Like, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot tied up in that. Yep, uh, yep. It's a lot sure, of pressure for sure. For sure. <laughs> uh, there's the old joke like. I'm hoping this isn't true, but all the people who like the the couples who do marriage retreats and speak on marriage together. Oh yeah, they like, got a good marriage. You're always wondering, like, uh-huh. how's their marriage? Or are they just kind yep. of hiding a bunch of things because they have to? Oh speak? yeah, right. I'm sure right. Peter Scazzaro is completely emotionally healthy. It seems like he is, but it does make you wonder sometimes. Like you set yourself I up for a standard for sure. Or I could be the emotionally healthy guy. So <laughs> this right, is why you, you need this. more pastors or authors that are just like normal the normal person exactly. <laughs> average I'm a little, basic the, the the little messed up person so yeah kind mid. of messed up pastor mid. okay <laughs> rich biotis wrote this i want to get your thoughts on it good missional theology and practice believes that wherever we go god has already been working we don't bring god anywhere rather we discover through prayer and conversation where God has been at work. Yep. There's a lot there that some people might be like, whoa, help me parse that. So let's work through that because I think that's an important concept. What are your thoughts on what Rich Viotis had to say there? Yeah. I mean, this is really the heart of like Missio Dei, the, the mission of God is that God is already at work in the world and we're just joining God where God is at work. So as we pray, as we are in relationship with people, we have conversations with people, we get a sense of like, oh, this is what God is doing here. And then you step in. I mean, you hear people say this, we're going to bring the kingdom of God to earth. We're going to, well, no, you're not. You're going to partner with God. I mean, there might be different language. You're going to expand the kingdom. I'm not exactly sure the right verb there, but no, like Jesus brought the kingdom of God. God is at work in the world. Our job is to discover where God is at work. And, you know, it's a different because, because one is, I mean, I'm going to be a little extreme here, but one is like, um, 
colonizing, right? Is you're Mm. like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to take over this place and I'm going to, in my own human strength and my own human power with my own ideas of what these people in this place should be, make change. And I'm going to call that the kingdom. The other is in submission to the Holy Spirit who's already at work. And we see this all the time in the book of Acts. Like I think Acts 16 is a beautiful example of this where Paul and Timothy and Luke and some others are traveling and, you know, God keeps stopping them at different places and kind of keeps just moving them along their path. And they don't know where they're going exactly, but they're just trying to serve God. And then Paul has a dream, go to Macedonia, and then they cross rivers and all of these things happen. And they end up finding that God is at work outside of the temple, outside of the city gates by the river in a group of women. And that's where he meets Lydia. And that's not like Paul and them didn't go in and say, we're going to go find the women at the river and bring them to Jesus. It was like, no, they're just paying attention to where God is moving and where God's calling them. And it was in unexpected places. And then there they were able to talk about who Jesus was. And so I, it's a difference in philosophy. It's a difference in like, um, I guess just submission, like who's doing the leading here uh, and, mm. and trusting that like, really it's not on us. Like, yes, God partners with us, but really the work is the Lord's and we're just, we're just honored to get to dive into it. Yeah. Yeah. How does this change evangelism or how does this change yeah. just how we view, maybe evangelism is too loaded of a word. No, that's how a that, great question. How does, this change, how does this change how we view our neighborhoods, how we view our workplaces, how we view our, um, just surroundings, our, our yeah. kids' school, whatever else yeah. it might be. What difference does this make at all? Yeah. I mean, I think some of it's a difference of like posturing and trust, like to start with the premise that God is already at work in our kids' schools. God is already at work in our neighbors' lives. God is already at work in the restaurant downtown, the coffee shop around the corner. Then you're not as much having to be like, how can I make sure? Yeah my neighborhood. I I don't know. Like, do you know what I mean? Like one is sort of a anxiety controlling posture. And the other is just like, Oh Lord, open my eyes to where you're at work. I'm going to walk through my neighborhood. I'm going to be in my neighborhood. I'm going to go to restaurants locally. I'm going to build relationships with teachers. I'm going to, and just let me strike up conversations with people to understand what you're doing, what you're already about. And then you like can meet people right where they are relationally with what God's doing. Um, you know, I think this is why there's some like missional groups or, or church groups or whatever that will, they'll live in a neighborhood and they'll intentionally go to the same restaurant every Wednesday. Yeah. And then they build a relationship with that same uh, waitress who's there every Wednesday. And as they love her and encourage her and build relationships with her, they begin to see that like, oh, she's, her dad just died and she's really lonely and man, she's been longing for some type of community or some type of answer for the pain she's in. And suddenly you realize like, Oh wait, God is already at work doing something in that. And we're just invited as the people of God to now minister to her and show her how Jesus is actually inviting her to experience healing and community and can be the father that she lost. And do you know what I mean? Like it, otherwise you go into a place and you're like, I'm going to leave a, I'm going to leave a tract on the table and assume somebody's going to come to Jesus. It's just a, I think it's just a different posture. One is humility relationship long-term, I would also say, and listening and paying attention to what the Holy Spirit of God is at work doing in corners of your neighborhood. And then I think one is trust. Like it's freeing to be like, oh wait, God's at work. I don't have to control this. 
It's not all on us. That's a it's great not all point. on us. There's, yeah. there's one more really convicting part of his tweet for me. Mm, uh, what's that? Uh, we discover through prayer and conversation where God has been at work. The conversation yeah. comes a lot more easily to me than the prayer. Mm, like, yeah. Like you said, and we don't need to like be, but, but how often when you go to that restaurant in your town over and over again, do you begin with, uh, God, help me see where you're at work. Help do something here, Lord, and help me see it. How totally. How prayer time am I walking around or, or thinking to myself, God, in my neighbor, I don't pray these types yeah. of prayers normally. Yeah. And, yeah. Because uh, he's right. God is at work. And mm-hmm. I think if more of us prayed, God, show me where you're at work and where I could play a role here, I think those yeah. doors are going to open up. Like A hundred percent. I think you are exactly right. But I know for me personally, that's not usually how I pray. It's not usually no. the things that I'm praying for. So anyway, good words from yeah, Rich Biotis. And uh, thinking about good missional practice, good missional theology, as we all look to be missionaries wherever we live, work, and play. We'll be back yes. uh, tomorrow, like I said, 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 